0: I want you to look at Philippians chapter 4, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, beginning there at, um, let me see, at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. And you remember, let's stop right there. You remember what we said. When you and I get anxious, when we get worried, we a lot of times get mad at the wrong people, right? Do you remember? Who was Martha mad at? She was mad at Mary, but she was also mad at who? She asked Jesus, don't you care? You remember when the disciples in Mark chapter 4 were in the storm? You remember they went and woke Jesus up and they said what? Don't you care that we're about to drown? You see, when you and I get anxious, when we get worried, we a lot of times get so worked up in a frenzy, we get angry and mad at the wrong people. So Paul says to the church of Philippi, he said, listen, let your what? Your gentleness, which is what you're going to lose and what I lose when we get anxious, be evident to all the Lord is near. Now, here it is. Look at verse 6. Do not be what? Do not be anxious, worried, upset, troubled, fretting. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. What will it do? It will guard your hearts, and what? And your minds positionally. Paul uses that 30-something times in Ephesians. He always talks about positionally being in Christ, and your minds in Christ Jesus let's pray again lord we love you we give you glory and we pray dear lord that you'll take this service and use it to honor you and we pray this in the name of jesus amen amen john would you put a picture of my lovely little granddaughter up there that's where i wanted to go um there she is right there there's my lovely little granddaughter this is sophie um, you know when God gives you children and for you that have children you know what I'm talking about God has such a sense of humor Emma Grace Emily's oldest is a quiet shy introverted child she is uh, she well she's just introverted. she's a lot like Emily when Emily was growing up now God has a lovely sense of humor Uh, So what he does is he sends the polar opposite the next round, right? A lot of times you get one child one way, and hey, listen, you may get the extrovert, charismatic, doesn't meet a stranger, first child, and the second one comes along, and they're quiet, shy, kind of introverted. You know, God's like that, isn't he? His children are different. Well, God has a sense of humor because, buddy, that little girl there is something else, she is an extrovert, charismatic, outgoing, she is a mini, and she is a bulldog around her older sister. Because see, Emma Grace is very, you know, she's, she's very gentle, soft. She can get her feelings hurt. And so you can imagine if somebody does anything to Emma Grace, this kid is like a pit bull going after him. I mean, she's just that way. Now, let me tell you what happens to you and I when we're anxious, when we're worried. We quit being childlike. You remember what Jesus said? He said, except you be converted and come as a little child, you'll in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember when he cleansed the temple? He turned over tables that weighed as much as a piano. He ran people out of the temple. We think that that's when he was the most angry. That's not the case. Most Greek scholars, most New Testament theologians tell us this. That when Jesus, when the disciples, do you remember when the moms were bringing their children and the disciples tried to stop them and Jesus said these words, suffer not the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The language is more stronger than when he cleansed the temple. Jesus loved kids. He was like a magnet to them. But you and I can lose that. We can lose that child-likeness. Now, what I want to do today, because I promised you for two weeks, that I wanted to give you what I believe are four steps to helping you and I control anxiety. So we'll move on to the next frame. I got a friend of mine by the name of Dr. Gary Robertson. Dr. Gary Robertson is a geriatric psychiatrist. He is brilliant in his field. Uh, Dr. Robertson and I for years have met together, drank coffee, have a great friendship. Um, he is in Oxford, England right now. He continually goes back and forth from here as a geriatric psychiatrist. He goes back and forth to Oxford, England there at the university there. He and I have had unbelievable conversations. And often what Dr. Gary Roberson will do is, as a geriatric psychiatrist, he starts telling me all this medical jargon, starts talking about all these medical principles, how doctors, psychiatrists look at the mind, look at the brain, look at anxiety, look at, and, and, and listen, repeatedly through the years, over and over again, I, when he would talk, I would say, well, Gary, the Bible says that. I mean, it would be like he was getting ready to give me some new insight, some new bit of wisdom, and he would tell me something, and I would respond and say, well, you know, the Bible says that. And so we would have these kind of conversations. But there's a book written by a man by the name of Nick Trenton, and this book is called Stop Overthinking. Because a lot of times when you and I are anxious and worried, our brain is on high gear. It's in panic mode. We are processing at a level that is literally frightening us. We are on the verge of panic. The enemy, your enemy, Satan, Diabolos, the devil, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. Listen, this is what he goes after because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are your thoughts. That's why Paul said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. The mind of Christ. Jesus said, listen, I'll give you peace that the world doesn't understand. So the enemy gets into our head, fills us with all kinds of what-if scenarios. Before long, we're in panic mode, and we are literally shutting down. Now, everybody listen. The enemy can't take your salvation. Psalm 51, but he can take the what? The joy of your salvation. You see, your joy is a spiritual gift that makes you attractive to a lost world right well and and you know and and I told John Williams I said John put this up on Facebook because I think as parents we need to teach children the four steps to controlling anxiety and let me tell you every one of these are biblical every one of them are biblical and everybody listen closely some of you don't have children But let me tell you what we're seeing in the counseling world right now. We're seeing small children, toddlers two, three, four years, five years of age with irritable bowel, with symptoms that are stress-related. Children are picking up. Let me tell you, let me ask you something. Can you imagine a child during covid Six feet apart, mask on, double mask, everybody acting as if they're frightened even to get close to one another. Can you imagine how a child in their simple mind is interpreting that information? So children today are having behavioral modification. Children are, uh, a lot of children are medicated today. And it's not to say that that's wrong. It's just to say that stress and anxiety in our society has moved us to a level that we're having to now medicate our children. So what are the steps? helping children deal with anxiety and helping you and I deal with anxiety put the next one up there John because the first step is this what's that first word can you see it it's to avoid you know that's real simple isn't it there are some people some situations some circumstances that you and I put ourselves in that we simply could be I always remember Janice you you may remember this he all years ago you remember was it Archie uh, you remember Archie Campbell and and he's sitting in a chair and and or and no, he's somebody sitting there and Archie's acting like a doctor and it's kind of hee-haw it's kind of a country joking kind of situation and this guy is hitting himself on the head and he says doc it hurts when I do this and he looks and says well quit doing that listen some anxiety some worry Some things that you and I, we bring into our life. We are around people, situations, circumstances that God never wanted us to be around. Some of your anxiety, some of my anxiety, could be solved as simply as leaving. That's it. His writer said, he said, avoid. There are some people, situations you and I simply can't avoid. Listen to this quote. There are lots of aggravations in life that you and I can simply walk away from. You can avoid stressful people and places. And when you avoid stress, you're not running away from obligations or denying genuine problems. You are simply learning. Listen to this. Say it with me. You are learning to say no to stress that is unnecessary and is harmful. Teach your child right now, even when they're small, to learn how to say no even to their peers, to learn how to walk away from people, situations, just simply excuse yourself and avoid. Get out of it, right? Teach your children that. Let me give you an example. Take Take your Bible and go back to Genesis You remember this story, Genesis chapter 39? You remember Joseph in Genesis, Genesis chapter 39, the one who brothers, he couldn't, his brothers hated him, sold him into slavery to Ishmaelite slave traders. They carried him down to Egypt, they sold him into slavery, and eventually he's bought by man, uh, 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 an individual in the army of Egypt, Potiphar. In Genesis chapter 39, Now Joseph, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Genesis chapter 39 verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became an attendant to Potiphar. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted everything into his care. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything that he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now here we go. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. That's just the way she said it. Sugar booger, come to bed with me. Verse 8, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted into my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Boy, I bet that went over like a lead balloon. One thing Joseph didn't know how to do, he didn't know how to compliment a woman. My master has withhold nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She called him by his cloak And said come to bed with me but he left his cloak in her hand and did what what did he do he ran out of the house isn't that something isn't that amazing you know what we need to teach our children to do stress and anxiety and worry you need to teach your children how to run there are some people some situations you need to avoid and when you find yourself in that situation in those circumstances you need to run and you need to run quickly. Let me tell you what we always told our kids. And parents, you have a gift. Here it is. You may say, no, that's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad in it, but there's a lot of good. And I can tell you one thing that we used to tell our kids. Here's a quarter. Back then it was a pay phone. Here's a quarter. You get in a situation, circumstance. Listen, even if you have messed up, and you know it, Call us. We'll come get you no matter where you are. Parent, you better know how to train your children while they're young to learn who they need to avoid, circumstances they need to avoid, and when they are in those circumstances or around those people, you need to teach them how to run. And you need to say, call me. Hey, you know what I used to say? Let me tell you right now. Tell your kids, if they can't get hold of you, call Sheila and I, call me. I don't mind coming here. Boy, that'll really... Some of the girls are already laughing. You're laughing because you can imagine this white pastor coming to pick you up. (laughs) You see, there are some people, some situations you just, you and I just need to avoid. Let me give you an example. This past week, I spent a week with my kayak and camping gear on the Buffalo River. I haven't done that in a long time. And, And pretty much outside of a uh, of an old man that was uh, uh, way down from me, I was alone. Now, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday, had a big roaring fire. Man, I, I carried my dog, Coach, with me. John, you could show Coach if you want to. and make me feel good. So if you can put Coach's picture up there. Uh, I, I carried Coach with me. Coach is a Dogo Argentino. You've heard me. He's 104 pounds of a bad attitude sometimes. And anyway, I had Coach with me. He's great security. Well, the last night there, there was a couple that came down. And, and uh, before long, this woman came down, and she began to kind of flirt around in my campsite, and she began to carry on. And I thought, man, I'm, in a, I'm not in a good place. Eight o'clock at night, fire going, tent set up, beautiful evening there on the uh, Buffalo River. These people had come into the camp. And they were down, and guess what I did? I said, "Coach, we got to get out of here." And hey, Coach agreed. And you know what we did? We did a Joseph. We ran. I mean, literally. Listen, you have never seen a man take down a tent so fast. Hey, listen, they what I I'm military. Anybody been to military? You know how serious it is when you're taking down a bivouac. You're taking down a tent. Man, I slapped that tent down. Dew had already begun to fall. It was wet. I just wadded up in a big ball, wrapped it up, and took it and stuffed it into my truck. I had my air mattress mats still half blown up. I couldn't even see out of my truck. I was trying to get out of that campsite as quickly as I could because I knew that woman was up to no good. Let me tell you, sometimes you and I spend our life in worry, anxiety, and and doing things that God never called us to do. He never called you to be around those people. He never called you to be in those circumstances. Hey, you may say, well, what if he does? Then he'll give you what you need at that moment. We need to teach our children to run. So there's some things we avoid. And then secondly, not only avoid, there's some things you and I can alter. In other words, listen to this idea of alter. If you can't avoid a stressor, whatever is bringing stress into your life, ask what you can do to change it. Does that make sense? You know, there's sometimes your children, hey listen, you send them off to college, they're in a dorm room, they're with somebody difficult to live with, and they have no choice. You know what you better teach them to do? Learn how to adjust and make the best out of a bad situation. Sometimes you got to do that. If you can't avoid a stressor, ask what you can do to change it. You know, my campsite. Let me tell you, uh, when I'm away from Sheila, I deal with some, because I have some post-traumatic stress from Africa and being sick in Africa, I have difficulty being alone. That's why I have to go camp. I have to constantly be addressing that agoraphobia, that fear of the marketplace, that tendency to not, to be very, very much to a handful of people, safe place, safe people, and and not. I have to constantly, and I may be talking to somebody here. You have agoraphobia, or you have separation anxiety. You have difficulty, and you feel like the walls are closing in. You can't do that. You got to constantly push them out. So I make myself go out, camp, spend a week alone, six and a half, seven hours away. Now, sometimes when I'm out there, I'm I'm suffering with some separation anxiety. In other words, let me explain this, and I'm being vulnerable here. There was a time in my life when I couldn't get a haircut. I couldn't sit down in the barbershop. That was how much stress and anxiety, mostly after Africa when I nearly died, post-traumatic stress, coming back home. Uh, But this has been something that goes all the way back to somewhat of a dysfunctional childhood. So I deal with separation anxiety. Let me tell you what I had to do at my campsite. Can we put my campsite up there? There's my campsite. Uh, I had the Taj Mahal of a tent. I bought that at Sam's. I, I call it the Taj Mahal. It was way too big for my dog and I. And at night, we'd be sitting there by the fire, and I'd be relaxing, trying to read my Bible or read a book by the fire. And, and all of a sudden, Coach would get up, and he'd walk over trying to push his nose through the, through the tent. He wanted to go inside. You see, there's sometimes there's nothing that you and I can do. We have to accept the situation and the circumstances that we're in and make the best out of it. And that needs to be taught to children. And let me tell you about the Bible. The Bible, you and I, listen, we're change agents. The Bible calls, Jesus called you salt, light, yeast. When we go into a situation, hey, listen, listen, here it is. The circumstances, the situation, the people are not influencing me. I'm influencing them. They're not affecting me. They're not shutting me down. They're not intimidating me. They're not quieting me now. They're not affecting me with an unholy, ungodly lifestyle. I'm a testimony, witness, light, salt, and yeast. I'm changing my environment. If I can't escape the people and the situation that I'm in, then God has called me to be the salt, light, and yeast and change it. Does that make sense? One of my favorite biographies was John Pollock, a British biographer who wrote a book on D.L. Moody, a great, great preacher. When we lived in England, I read this book through and I cried for three weeks after I finished it. And I thought, God, let me be that kind of man. D.L. Moody, this great man of God, went one day to get his hair cut. He walked into a barber shop in Boston. He went into this barber shop. This is probably the late 1800s. He sits down in this barber shop. He gets this haircut. He begins to talk to the barber. He begins to talk. And listen... A quietness comes over this barber shop at a high-volume day. The president, I believe, of Princeton University was sitting there, and when D.L. Moody got up to leave and he walked out, the President of Princeton looked and I can't remember the name, but he went on to become the President of the United States. He looked at his barber. And he said, who was that man? And the barber said, sir, that was D.L. Moody. He went on to become the president of the United States. He said that Moody, listen to this, he walked into that barber shop, turned it into church, and he said, lifted us. He said, lifted us all heavenward. You know what you're teaching your child to do? If you can't get out of a circumstance and you can't get away from people and you feel the stress and anxiety, you begin to pray and you begin to recognize God has me here by divine appointment. Not to be influenced by them, not to be influenced by my environment, but for me to change my environment. You know, I was accused one time of being drunk. I was i went into a pool hall as a young man new christian went into a pool hall one day and i used to be pretty good at pool and and so i went in into shot shooting pool i was drinking a coke but i don't know that people knew that and uh, before long i was cutting up clowning around and they thought i was drunk and you know what i told them i said that's i'm not drunk i'm filled with god's holy spirit I told you of a time that as a preacher I went into a bar, walked into a bar. The church warned me, said this bar's nothing but a problem, nothing but a problem. I drove, I had a motorcycle. I thought one day as a young preacher, I thought I'm just going to pull up there and walk in. I walked in, you order a Coke in a bar and you'll quiet down everybody. I walked up, sat down to the counter and I was about 200 pounds in, nice healthy guy. and. uh you know, ordered my Coke, sat there, and it, and it began to get quiet. Then they began to hear that I was the local preacher. And then they began to ask me about TV ministers. And I shot straight with them. I said, a lot of that is a bunch of poo-poo. And I might have used the C word just to make me a little more accepted. I don't know. But the reality is, is I had an unbelievable encounter with, listen to this, with the entire bar. I want you to listen to me. I walked in there stressed and anxious before long. I was calm and peaceful and they were stressed and anxious sometimes you and i have to understand something we can't avoid you have to teach your children you're not you know you can't get out of this situation there are going to be times in your life you're going to have difficult people you're going to have difficult circumstances you can't avoid it you're just going to have to make the best of it why because you're the salt light and yeast god's not god said be anxious for nothing right and we'll close in a moment let me read to you something And I wept last night when I was reading this to Sheila because I believe this is a key. I want want you to listen to me. Parent, you want to mess your kid up? You protect them from any situation that will stress them. You hear me? You want to mess your kid up? You want to make them ill-equipped to make it in the real world? You protect them. You overprotect them. You keep a leash on them. You keep, hey, you go fight every fight they have. They have a difficulty with somebody on the bus, at school, in the neighborhood, you go fight their battle. They have a problem with a teacher, you go fight. Man, you think with my ears, big old ears like mine, I could keep this thing on. The reality is, the most dangerous thing that you can do is to protect, overprotect your children. God doesn't even do that. God sometimes puts you and I in circumstances, in situations, because He's called us to be the light, the salt, and the yeast. Sometimes you have to say to your child, listen, I, I, you know, there are times when you need to look at your child, and your child's saying something to you, and this is your question. It's not, well, you know, we'll go down there and show them at the school, or I'm going to go fight this kid on the bus, or whatever. You're gonna, Or you're going to get down there and get into an altercation at the ball field. It's a matter of looking at your child and maturing and helping them grow to realize that, hey, there's going to be a day when mom and dad are not around. You're going to have to learn to handle some of the stress and anxiety and the worries in some of these difficult people and difficult circumstances. You're going to have to learn how to handle that, how to survive, and how to change that environment and those people. That's why you're there. But in, 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 in 1789, William Wilberforce moved 12 resolutions in the British Parliament condemning slavery. He made a speech lasting over three hours, a speech which had in it such weight and feeling that it brought tears. When the vote was taken, the abolitionists were defeated. Each year, Wilberforce introduced his bill, this writer said, to make slave traffic illegal. Failure after failure came to this brave fighter. For 20 years, he worked for the slaves with an energy and a devotion which almost seemed superhuman. On February 23rd, 1807, Wilberforce had been given a ovation, standing ovation such as no man had received in Parliament. He was quietly overcome with applause. He sat and bent over in his seat with tears streaming down his cheeks. He had one thing that I had that I understand. He had a bad stomach problem. His triumph was complete. When the vote was taken, the bill carried 283 to 16 in British Parliament. On March 25th, the king of England gave his assent and the bill became law. It now became illegal to trade slaves, slave trade. Wilberforce was on his deathbed when the news was carried to him. His response was, thank God, four days later at 3 a.m. in the morning, July 29th, 1833, he died. Now listen to this quote. Conviction brings confidence. God called William Wilberforce They jeered him, they mocked him, but he was in a situation, circumstances, that he could not get out of. He dealt with difficult people, difficult circumstances. He had a severe health issue, stomach problem. He preached with passion. He spoke with passion. Listen, it was not Lincoln. It was not Douglas. It was not the Civil War. It was the voice of this little British man named William Wilberforce that stopped slavery. And it affected the continent of Africa and it affected the world. And on the day the king signed it into law, William Wilberforce said two words and he died. Thank God. And then he died. You rescue your children. If you rescue them enough, you weaken them and you rob them of the ability of God to use them greatly. You cannot always protect them from difficult people, difficult circumstances, and those people who may bring pain into their life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me close. I'm a, First night camping. First night camping. um, Dealing with a little bit of separation anxiety, you know, just there you're alone. I mean, alone. I mean, on the on the river, alone there. There's no sound, nothing, and you can hear all kinds of strange sounds in the woods and and just about the time coach my dog would get calmed down all of a sudden there's some bird or something and boy you would be like that and i'd be calm, calm it's all right coach calm down but we like to froze to death the first night it was down in the 40s i wasn't prepared it was cold and then the enemy to a camper is a dew is that moisture at night. The tent was wet. It was in the 40s. It was so cold, and I didn't have nothing but a fire 10, 15 feet maybe from my tent. And about, I woke up at 2, couldn't go back to sleep, sat there wrestling. Finally, about 5 o'clock, I said out loud to coach, I said, I'm miserable. (laughs) Listen, when I said the word miserable, God is my witness. Because anybody who camps knows this, the worst part of camping is getting out of the sleeping bag, right? Getting out of the sleeping bag, out of the tent, and going out there and trying to do what? Start a fire. It's wet, It's cold, it's miserable, and it's like, my dog is shivering. I mean, coach was shivering. I actually took my jacket and wrapped it around my dog. And about five o'clock in the morning, I said, I am miserable. And when I said those words, tent closed up, the fire went, lit up, Hey, listen, lit up the outside, lit up the tent at the word miserable. And you know what I immediately thought about? I thought about Moses all alone. When all of a sudden God sent a fire and a bush, and the bush was not consumed. Man, I jumped up out of that tent went out to a fire that had flamed up, put more wood on it, had in a five minutes a blazing fire on a miserable, cold, wet morning, made my Starbucks coffee, instant coffee, and I thought, this is life. <laughs> God will give you a peace and a strength and a comfort no matter where you are, what situation you're in and that's what you teach your children when all else fails you climb into the lap of a loving savior who is sovereign and in control and knows your situation and you'll find peace there a little girl and i'll close with this and then we'll pray a little girl was on a train by herself and people kind of looked at her just sitting there just sitting there by herself you know on this train way off somewhere in Europe. And a a man finally looked at her and said, well, little girl, said, "Uh, are you afraid? She smiled, looked back, said, no, sir. She said, my daddy's a conductor. (laughs) Let's stand. Your heavenly Father is sovereign and in control. Teach your children that let's pray our heavenly father we thank you lord that you love us we thank you that lord you care about us and lord sometimes like joseph we have to avoid we have to run we have to flee there's some situations that god you've not called us to be in some relationships friendships that are not a part of your will your plan and your purpose and god there's some things that we just have to learn to avoid Sometimes we just have to run like Joseph, no matter the cost. He ended up in prison for running. But oh, God, did you bless his faithfulness, second to Egypt. You know, let's look this way while we're praying. Forgive me. Can you imagine when Potiphar came in one evening and said, honey, you remember that Jew slave You remember that Jew slave that you said uh, tried to seduce you and get you to go to bed? He's my boss. He's second to Pharaoh. We're in a heap of trouble. When you teach your children to be faithful and to trust God, even when things seem to backfire and go wrong, God always blesses faithfulness. And He did in Joseph. Some things you and I can avoid. We teach our children that. Some things that we can alter. We can change and make better. And all God's people said, Amen. You come. Christ has spoken to your heart. You need to come today. If you've never given your life to Christ, you come today. Be saved today.